Well, good morning. Oh, man. This, this is the rowdy crowd. Come on, one more time. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, listen, I, I'm really excited to be with you guys this morning. I don't know if it's cold and rainy outside. I know, but you're inside. We're warming up a little bit. And listen, we've been in the midst of a series called Breakthrough. And in fact, we are um, one week away from being finished with this series. And we have been looking at the book of Joshua for the past couple of weeks. Has anybody enjoyed this series? Yeah. It's been impactful. I've heard some from so Thank you. I've heard from so many different people um, from this congregation who have said that this series has been one that has really kind of struck a nerve within them. And I know for myself personally, as we've been wrestling through this kind of content, God has been speaking to me about my life. Because in the end, what we've been talking about is it's one thing to wish for change in our life, and it's a whole other thing to actually see change within our life. It's a whole other thing to actually see breakthrough within our life. And for a lot of us in this room, if we're really honest, we don't see a lot of it. And we kind of go year in and year out, make new resolutions, new goals, and never actually see them take place within our life. And I think a lot of times it has to do with the fact that we keep God out of the aspect. We keep God out of the, the, the playing ground and, and working on within our life. And so this morning, I want to continue looking at this series in kind of a new lens, a new angle. And, uh, but before we do that, I want to pray for us real quick, and then we'll jump into what we're going to talk about today. Would you bow with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you today, anxious, God, to hear from you. I pray that this morning, Father, you'd help our hearts and our minds to be open to the things that you want to teach us, Jesus. Help us to have a, a sober self-assessment of our life, God, to truly see where we're at and what you're doing within our life. Help us to be willing to allow you into all aspects of our life, Jesus, that we might experience true and real breakthrough. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So as I said, I want to look at a little bit different angle of, of breakthrough today, of, of this kind of newness of life. I want to talk to people in the room today who like have kept your resolutions. I know it might be a minority in the room this morning, but I want to talk to those of you today who, who have lost 10 pounds since January 1st. I ate like 10 pounds of muffins yesterday. But I want to talk to the people in the room who have paid off like hundreds of dollars maybe of debt already within this year. Or, or maybe you have bought flowers for your wife and have gone on three dates this month already in 2018 because you're winning. You know, like I want to talk to people in the room who have done all these things and life is going great. I want to talk to the people this morning who the bank account is full and the family is happy and the family is healthy and you're acing all the tests. You've already got a prom date for the spring. I want to talk to you Patriots fans this morning who probably will be happy this evening. I know, me too. I want to talk to the people in the room this morning for which everything seems to be going great. And this would be something that normally we would celebrate, right? I mean, victory is amazing and success is awesome. And when life is growing great, we have the tendency to look around at things around us and feel like we've got everything put together. Like it's all going according to plan. And I want to point out this morning is in the story of Joshua, this is a very dangerous place to be, actually. There's danger in victory. A generation ago, you may have heard this phrase before, and you would have used this phrase if there was an instance that was worth capturing and saving for like all time. You might have said that this was a Kodak moment. Anyone in the room? If you're over 25, you may have heard this before. If not, there's no hope. But there was moments in life that were so good, that were so worthy of kind of keeping that you had to take a picture of it and store it and keep it for posterity to look at later on. Eastman Kodak was a company that years ago was on top of their game. And they owned the industry. They were making millions of dollars. Chances are if you had a camera back in the day and you had some film back in the day, both of them were made by Kodak. I mean, they were, they were owning all of it. They were at the top of their game. They were ahead of the class. They were doing everything perfectly. 
And then something happened in 1975. For the very first time, there was a digital camera that was created. And ironically enough, it was actually created by Kodak themselves. This digital camera was the size of a toaster, and it took 20 seconds to capture an image. So they're super amazing. This thing was created, and, and the execs of Kodak looked at it and said, hey, this is cute, but it's not a viable option to actually invest in. This is never going to make it. No one will ever own a digital camera. We're going to stick with what we do. We're going to stick with what we had success in. So they stuck with film. In fact, they invested other things like batteries and, and drug stores and different kinds of things. They had so much success, they could invest their money wherever, wherever they wanted to. And if you're a student of history at all, you know that the digital camera did not fade away, but in fact, it became something that was a household item. Every person had it. In fact, today, you probably don't have one anymore because now it exists within your cell phone. You have a smartphone. That's your new camera. And before Kodak could realize what was taking place and how quickly things were changing, they were behind the eight ball. And in 2012, Kodak went bankrupt. And it seems to be in looking at this particular company, they went from the top of their game to the bottom of the barrel. And the reason for their failure, ironically, was actually their success. They become so successful, they've been dominant for so long that no one could imagine anything different. Before they realized it, they were behind. You see, here's the danger this morning that I want to bring out and I want to look at today. The danger of setting goals and setting resolutions that you actually can attain them. The danger of having goals within your life and having resolutions for 2018 is that it could actually happen. So in 2018, maybe you want to be the top seller in your office. You want to earn that person's vote. You want to pay that thing off. You want to get married. You want a new car. You want to be the student body president. You want to earn the bonus. You want to be the best. I mean, all those things sound great. I mean, who wouldn't want those things? But the problem is, if you work hard enough, if you sacrifice enough, if you are fortunate enough, these things actually can come to fruition. And here's the big question that I want to ask today. When you experience success, what's your next move? When you experience victory, what do you do next? What happens after success or victory? I believe that unfortunately success can be the open door to failure. Some of us work so hard. We stay so focused and we experience success on the regular. And the problem is when we do that too often, we end up losing our edge. We start reading our own press. We believe that somehow we've arrived. And worst of all, we believe that we've done it on our own. There's danger in success. We've been looking at this book of Joshua and as you know, the Israelite people have been traveling around for a long time, the beginning of, of the Old Testament through the wilderness. For 40 years, they were stuck going in circles over and over and over again, wishing for a little bit of victory, wishing for a little bit of success, and never really seeming to get there. They wanted a breakthrough, but all that ended up happening was failure after failure after failure. And a lot of us in the room, we can relate to that. But what's interesting to me is in the book of Joshua, as the Israelite people finally begin to come into this promised land that God has for them, Joshua leads them across the Jordan River, and they begin to gain momentum. In fact, the Bible says in the beginning of chapter 6 that as they cross the Jordan into this new land, they come across a city called Jericho. Everyone say Jericho. And Jericho is the kind of city that you never want to come up against if you're Israelite people. It was the most militarized and fortified and scary city that they would encounter in the new land. 
But sure enough, they did exactly what God told them to do in chapter six. As, as weird as it might have been for them to walk around the city seven times, blow horns, holler really loud, and the city walls to come crashing down, they experience a victory. They experience success for the first time in over 40 years. They're experiencing this new way of life as God has delivered the battle to them. The temptation for them was to believe that they had won the battle. But chapter six is clear to communicate to us and the listeners They didn't win the battle. Guess who did? God. God won the battle. And now look at the very last verse in chapter 6 of the story. In verse 27, here's what it says. So the Lord was with Joshua, and Joshua's fame spread throughout the land. His fame spread throughout the land. They had just experienced a victory And because of it, verse 27 says that Joshua's reputation began to spread throughout the land. I know that in this room, there are some people here who've experienced the Jericho of some kind, and you've experienced victory, and you've experienced success. And for many of us in this room, we know what it's like for our reputation, a good one, to begin to spread and for fame to begin to happen. I know a lot of people in this room and in this community who are the most successful people I've ever come across in my entire life. I know people who have built businesses with their own two hands. I know people who have overcome life-threatening diseases in miraculous ways. I know people who have celebrated over 40 years of, of wedded bliss. I know people who have won state titles in our student ministry. I know people who have gotten their names in the paper, people who live on a beautiful house on the lake, who vacation on the coast. I know some people who have never missed a Sunday on a Sunday morning in years. There are a lot of people in this church and in our community who know what it's like to have success and know what it's like to have their fame spread and to have a good reputation. Just like Joshua, just like the Israelite people, when we experience victory, when we experience success, too often this is what happens. We become famous. We get a good rep. And unfortunately for a lot of us, we begin to buy into the praise and the applause and we pat ourselves on the back. And unfortunately, a lot of us begin to believe that we've arrived. It wasn't, this wasn't a victory. This was the victory. This was the success. But I want you to notice a, a, a very tiny word between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of this story that changes everything. It's a little word called but. But. Joshua's fame spread throughout the land. But. It seems the Israelite people and Joshua himself they had had a breakthrough, but they believed it was the breakthrough. You know, it's interesting. There was an interesting phrase that was used about early Christians after Jesus' death and his resurrection as they were trying to define what these new people were. And what they called them, they called them people of the way. People of the way. Because these people, these followers of Jesus, were seeming to watch the way that Jesus had lived his life, and they were trying their, their very best to walk in the way that he walked. And day in, day out, discover the way that Jesus would have for them. And they would go from this place to that place, from, from this circumstance to that circumstance, learning how to walk in the way of Jesus. And I don't want to miss the significance of that particular phrase, because they were not people of the arrived. We are people of the way, not people of the arrived. A Christian is someone who's not relish in the accolades of one breakthrough because they realize there are other breakthroughs still to be had. Christian is someone who doesn't pat themselves on the back because they've been faithful to experience one victory because they realize there's other victories to be had. New trials, new struggles, new difficulties. We are people of the way, not people of the arrived. No one in this room has made it. 
It's a good reminder for Joshua. You've got a good reputation. Fame is spreading throughout the land, but there's more to be done. It's a little tiny word, but it changes everything. But Joshua chapter seven, verse one says this way. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. You see, at the battle of Jericho and the victory that took place there, God says, anything that comes out of this victory, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. Because God said, I'm the one who's given you the victory. But there was a man named Achan, son of Kareem and some other different people, and he took some gold for himself and kept it on his own. And it says in the end that God was angry at Israel because of this. Because the victory wasn't Achan's. The victory was God's. And yet he took it for himself. And it's such a small thing. It's such a small thing. A little bit of gold. I mean, what's it really matter? It's so insignificant. It's seemingly just so small within the entirety of the story. But it's the reason for the but between chapter 6 and chapter 7. And it's always the small thing, isn't it? It's always something small. The story of Joshua is not just important because it happened one day long ago. It's, happened, it's important because it still happens today within our life. There are still small things that if we're not careful, we, we know what it's like to have the thrill of victory. And far too often on the very heels of that victory, we experience the agony of defeat. And too often it's because of something small. I want to confess to you this morning that I don't like dentists. Let me rephrase that. I like dentists. I don't like going to the dentist. It is a big struggle for me. I'm probably the only 34-year-old man that I know of that goes in and is like, do you have laughing gas? I know it's like for children, but I would love if you could just administer something to be wonderful. And it all started a long, long time ago in a little Chinese restaurant in Kentucky. We were eating food, and one day I said to my mom, hey, mom, I have a hole in my tooth. She's like, you don't have a hole in your tooth. I'm like, no, I have a, I have a hole in my tooth. I can feel it with my tongue right here. She's like, you don't have it. Let me see. So she looked in my mouth, and sure enough, right in the side of my tooth was a, was a gaping hole in the side of my And I'm sure this didn't happen overnight. This probably started with a little bit of plaque, okay? Maybe, maybe I should have gone to the dentist more. I don't know. But because of that little bit of plaque and not taking care of it to begin with, a very, very small thing actually became a very, very big thing. And I will never forget in my life going to the dentist to take care of that hole in my tooth. They took three quarters of my tooth. It was so traumatic. To the point now, as a 34-year-old man, when I think about this, I just start, like right now I'm sweating just talking about this particular instance. And here's what I know to be true in my life, and you probably know it too. Sometimes the smallest of things can become the biggest of things. And if we're not careful, we'll become like Joshua, and we'll have a victory or a success of some kind and overlook something very, very small that could, that could really throw everything off. Because small things become big things. You know, sometimes it just starts as a little bit of flirting in the office and it's no big deal. It's just small and no one knows. But if we're not careful, it becomes an affair where it starts with just one pill for the pain that you might have. But eventually it's not about the pain anymore. Now it's about the high. It might start out with just one, just a single inappropriate website, just one time before you know it, you've got an addiction and it could cost you everything. I mean, it might start out as just one drink at the end of the day, just to relax from a long day of work. But in the end, you can find that you have to have it to function. You see, the small things in our life can become big things in our life. And if we're not careful, all of the ground that we have gained, all of the successes, all of the victories, they can be lost. 
So because of that but between chapter 6 and chapter 7, we go directly from victory to defeat. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 2 through 5, the Bible says this. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. It was the next city along the way in conquering this new land, which is near beth to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out on Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all of the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not worry the entire um, army. And for only a few people lived there. So about 3,000 went up, and they were there. They were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the men melted in fear. They became like water. Other translations say that their courage melted away. But because of something seemingly insignificant, because of Achan's sin, the difference between victory in chapter 6 and defeat in chapter 7 is very, very swift. The Israelite people thought, hey, it's not a big deal. I mean, Jericho is 10 times what Ai is. And we beat them. Surely this will be an easy task. Just send a few thousand men there. It shouldn't be a problem. If you notice also in chapter 6, before they went and attacked Jericho, they asked God, what should we do? And they were careful to obey every single direction that God gave them. What kind of deliberation is there before chapter 7 in Ai? Nothing. Just go do it. Shouldn't be a problem. It's nothing like Jericho. It's just Ai. We, we learn a very important lesson here in chapter 7 that I don't want us to miss today. Now, again, I'm speaking to any person in the room today who's experienced victory or success any time within your life. There is no amount of victory in your past that ensures victory in your future. There is no amount of victory in your past that ensures that you will have victory in the future. This was Israel's attitude. They had become prideful. They had become complacent. They thought it would be smooth sailing from here because they had victory at Jericho. It's like rock climbing. If anybody has ever rock climbed before, I mean, people who get hurt rock climbing, I mean, it's never the people who are the novices, which you might think would happen. It's never people who are just beginning rock climbing. You know why? Because they are scared to death they're going to die. If you've never rock climbed before, I mean, when you put yourself on real rock outside, it is terrifying. And so if you're a novice rock climber, you will double check every single knot that is put onto your body. You will double check every single strap on your harness. You will double check every single hold on the rock because you know if you were to fall, it could be the end. And you are laser focused on making sure that every single thing is covered. The problem is, for someone who's been climbing for years, this is where people get into trouble. I mean, you've done it so many, you, you tied that knot so many times and, and you've done that strap so many times. You've secured a rock so many times that you no longer really think about it. You just kind of make it happen. And the problem is it only takes one loose knot, one wrong strap for something really bad to happen. Just because God has blessed you, just because God has done something wonderful within your marriage, do not get comfortable because you've not arrived yet. Don't get comfortable because God is blessing your business right now because you've not arrived yet. Don't get comfortable because God has done a great work within you. You are not a finished product yet. And don't get comfortable because you have been successful in avoiding temptation thus far because you may have beaten Jericho, but there's still an AI out there. In verse five, 
of chapter 7 really says it all. As they're routed at Ai and they they flee and they retreat, verse 5 says, their courage melted away because of the defeat. Now, the writer of the book of Joshua wants this phrase to ring in your ear because you should recognize it somewhere within the book. The very first week of this series, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 says this. God is speaking to the Israelite people, welcoming them into the promised land. Knowing it's going to be difficult, God says to them, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged, for I am with you wherever you go. This defeat at Ai seems to break the back of all the confidence they had had since chapter 1. Chapter 1 says, be strong and courageous, I am with you wherever you go. And when they're defeated at Ai, the first thing that happens is their courage melts away because they have forgotten who was the one that enabled them to have the victory. They, they have forgotten why they have seen success because it's not about them. It's about the God who have given them victory at Jericho and they've forgotten. Don't, don't miss this this morning. The key to being people, not of the arrived, but people of the way, the key to experiencing breakthrough in our life on the daily is reminding ourselves that we are absolutely 100% dependent upon God. Every one of us this morning, we need him. We need him. We need him. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher and theologian, said it this way. The sense of human adequacy is the primary barrier to genuine faith. The sense that we have that we can do it on our own because we're smart enough, we're capable enough. It's, it's the very barrier to genuine faith. He says, whether expressed as confidence in science, moral progress, or military might, the human feeling of self-reliance distances the creation from the creator. No matter who you are today, no matter how successful you have been, I want to remind you today that you've not done it on your own. I want to remind you today that you are in need of God no matter who you are. We're dependent upon him. The very root of sin is our desire for autonomy, to self-rule apart from God, to do things our own way. And for many of us in the room who have tasted success and victory at all, like Joshua, we are more than likely than others to convince ourselves that we can go it alone. And unfortunately, too often we, we face a crushing defeat. So in chapter 7, luckily, praise God, Joshua, the Israelite people, they recognize what they've done wrong. They come before God and they repent and they make it right. At the end of chapter 7, it doesn't end there because you have chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1, continues on with this story and it says this in chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, and he repeats one nine, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. God reminds them, do not be afraid, be courageous. I am the one who's giving you this victory. I'm the one who will win this battle. And in chapter eight, we come to another really important truth so now I want to talk to all of us in the room. Maybe you've never tasted success in your life. Victory has never been something that's ever been something that you've, that you've experienced yourself. I want to talk to you as well. Because chapter 8 of the story reminds us this, that there is no amount of defeat in your past either that ensures defeat in the future. 
I mean, certainly, there is no amount of victory or success we've ever experienced that would ensure we would have the same tomorrow. But if you're here today and you feel defeated, if you feel like a failure, the good news is that it does not ensure that you'll be defeated and have failure in the future. I have sat across the table over the past week with about four or five different people, students and young adults, and I've had the same conversation over and over again. I've had the privilege of looking them in the eye and saying to them, hey, listen, I know you feel like there's no hope. I know you feel like you've, you've crossed this barrier that you can never come back from, but I'm telling you right now, there's hope. Because no amount of defeat in your past ensures that it has to happen tomorrow. And the beautiful thing about chapter 8 is the Israelite people, they learn something from the mistakes of Achan. They learn something from what took place at the defeat at Ai. Though they had a major setback at Ai, God was setting them up for a major comeback as well. And for anyone here today who feels set back, God wants to do something within your life. And here's the key. Here's the key. Don't let your failure go to waste. Don't let your failure go to waste. When I was just graduating college, I was trying to decide what was going to be the next step for me um, in my career. And I had a chance to work at a church called Mount Horby Die Methodist Church. And I was trying to decide about this. But to be honest with you, I was wrestling on the inside with a bunch of stuff. I had some things from my childhood I was really wrestling with and trying to figure out. And I didn't know what to do about that. And at the same time, I had a lot of stuff in my life. I was doing things, trying to live my life on my own, to be honest with you. And because of that, I knew if I were to carry that into my ministry, it was going to be a problem. And so I was really kind of in this quandary as to what to do with my life. I remember one day as an intern, I walked up the hallway to the old student room, which is now the chapel, and I sat down on the stage up there, and I just started to weep. And I started to weep because I didn't, I didn't honestly feel like God could use me. I, I felt like there were so many things that had taken place with my life, different mistakes and failures, that I felt like it was kind of like the final chapter. And, and for me to believe that I could go into ministry and make any kind of difference just seemed so ludicrous to me. And I sat on that stage, I looked over on the floor right next to the stage, I don't know how long it had been, I don't know how it got there, was this little wooden cross, this one right here. And that day I picked that thing up and I put it in my pocket and I've had this for 13 years now, over 13 years. And I keep it in my office for a very important reason. So I wanna never ever forget where I've come from because God's brought me so far. I want to never forget what it was like to live apart from God. I want to never forget what the pain was like. I want to never forget what it was like to try to do things on my own. So I'm afraid that too many of us in this room, we are so far removed from any kind of failure within our life that we feel like we've got it together. And because you experience victory, you're, you're sure that it's going to happen over and over and over again. Maybe you wouldn't say it in terms like that, but the way you live your life and the way you respond to God would suggest that. We can't waste our failures. This is a reminder to me that I will never waste where I've come from. I want to be reminded always what God has done for me so I can be reminded to allow him to work in my life day in and day out. You can never forget where you come from. You see, the Israelites, they didn't allow the defeat at Ai to be the last and final say. They learned from it. We've got to learn from it. Every one of us in this room, at some point in time, you'll encounter a Jericho. You'll see victory. You'll see success. But every one of us also, we're going to encounter an AI. We're going to feel failure. 
And the question becomes, how do we respond to either one? The only fatal failure that we could possibly have is not learning from our defeats, not learning from them. You know, one of the hardest parts of working with students kind of week in and week out is that students, like many of us in this room, there's these two really vital parts to who we are that, that too often get attacked. And, and the first one is our head. It's our brains. And I want to remind us this morning that we can never let success go to our heads. But the other really vital place is the heart. We can never let our failures get to our hearts. As I talk with students, it is so easy for a student to feel like with their heads and their intellect that they figured it out. This is what God's like or not like. He's real or he doesn't exist. And too often as a 13-year-old kid, a 17-year-old kid, we feel like we got it figured out. Here's the truth. You don't. How many of us also, we've been living this life for a long time. You've been a Christian for a very long time and you feel like, I've got it together. I know exactly what I'm doing. And we become complacent. Never let success go to your head. But I've come across enough students too who have messed up in some kind of way and it's gotten to their hearts. It's an emotion. And it's, it's, it's a burden. And it weighs them down. For many of us in this room too, you feel like your life has been defined by failure. And you know what that kind of weight feels like. And I want to remind you, you can't let failure get to your heart. We all have these tapes that play in our head over and over and over again. And for some of us, it tells us, you're awesome. You're doing it perfect. You're full of success. And for some of us, these tapes say the exact opposite. You're worthless. You're never going to make it. One failure will lead to another. The truth is, they're both lies. We have to begin to change the tapes. Proverbs chapter 30, I think, just hits it right on the head in verse 8 and 9 as it says this. The writer is speaking to God. He's pleading with God. He says, first, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Just enough. Just enough, God. Help us to never forget that we're dependent upon you. But help us to always remember that you will provide for us. And you will redeem us. Here's the prayer I want to leave you with this morning. This is what I've been praying this week in my relationship with God. I would encourage you to do the same this morning, maybe just in your hearts. I've been saying, God, for all that I have and all that I am, I thank you. And for all that I need and all that I will become, I need you. For all that I have and all that I am, God, I thank you. And for all that I need and all that I will become, I need you, God. Let's pray together. Jesus, I come to you today so grateful for the fact, God, that the, the victories that I've experienced in my life, God, you have allowed me to be reminded that it's not because of me. It's because of your blessing because of your work in my life. And God, I'm also grateful for the defeats that I've found in my life. They've not been fatal for me, God, but you've allowed me to see the grace and the mercy that you've extended to me. So Father, I pray for every person in this room this morning. Help us to come to realize and truly believe 
But there's no amount of victory in our past that ensures victory in our future. But also there's no amount of defeat in our past that ensures defeat in our future. Lord, we love you. We need you. We need you. We need you. Amen.